the Revolutionary War, uh, that time in early American history where the colonists were just like, yeah, this whole little tiny little island nation across the ocean that we left because their rules were stupid. Yeah, we're going to not allow them to keep trying to impose their stupid rules on us. And we're going to just make our own country now. And from there, you know, you kind of know what happened. There were some battles, um, you know, George Washington uh, crossing the Delaware and some other stuff. Paul Revere, all that kind of stuff. You know how it goes. You know how it typically goes. Well, there are a couple stories from the Revolutionary War that you've likely never heard. And we're going to get into them today. It's our weird world. Our weird Welcome to Our Weird World. I'm your host, John Henson, and happy Memorial Day. Uh, figured it would be somewhat appropriate to do a war-themed episode on Memorial Day, but uh, just to do, it, to do it on a war that not a lot of people talk about anymore, at least around Memorial Day. Um, they talk about it on like July 4th, I guess, but um, yeah, the, the Revolutionary War. Uh, we're going to look at three uh, different stories today. Uh, we're going to look at uh, Sybil Ludington, Samuel Whittemore, and Deborah Sampson. And so, uh, almost guarantee you haven't heard any of these stories. So, let's jump on in. Hey, remember that story of a night in April 1775 when Paul Revere heroically rode his horse throughout the night, warning everyone that the British were coming, and that, according to the Henry Wadsworth Longfellow poem, basically this led to America winning the Revolutionary War? You remember that? Remember that? Um, Well, despite what uh, you grew up believing in that Revere made this ride by himself. He was actually with 40 other people and he didn't even finish the journey because he got captured by a British patrol along the way. Um, However, you know, look, Revere, sure. Revere's ride was a heroic act that deserves its place in history. No doubt about it, but it's been way over dramatized. And there were other people who made similar rides that were almost entirely left out of the history books. Um, Two full years before Paul Revere's ride in the middle of the Revolutionary War, uh, American troops were taking a break to farm their lands because that's just how life was in the 1700s. Like war wasn't just this constant thing. There were literally periods of intermission so that the soldiers could go back home and take care of their farms. Um, But. Colonel Henry Ludington uh, received a message that a new British platoon had landed with the sole purpose of burning the entire state of Connecticut to the ground, or I guess territory at this point. Um, So Ludington had to find a way to alert and mobilize his troops, but his only option was his 16-year-old daughter, Sybil. So on April 26, 1777, Sybil rode her horse from uh, rural Putnam County, New York, overnight for 40 miles across the border to Danbury, Connecticut, and warning everyone along the way that the British were coming and that they should probably leave. Sound familiar? Yeah, it's exactly what Paul Revere allegedly did, but he didn't really do. Um, 
The next afternoon, the British arrived and burned several buildings at home, killing a few residents who didn't listen because, I mean, obviously women really never know what they're talking about, you guys. Like, why why would anyone listen to a woman, especially a 16-year-old girl? They don't know anything. Um, well, they were wrong. So, uh, although Danbury was destroyed... Uh, the 400-man American militia met General William Tyron at the Battle of Ridgefield and actually ended up driving the British nearly 20 miles down to Long Island Sound. And despite riding twice the distance as Revere, as well as doing it alone, legitimately doing it alone, uh, Sybil's story didn't become publicized for over 100 years until her descendants relayed the tale to a local historian. But... Obviously, since no woman could possibly do such a thing, uh, many historians actually believe the entire ride was pointless, even if it even happened at all. Like, how <laughs> how rude, right? Like, this 16-year-old girl saves a huge swath of land. I mean, yeah, Danbury gets destroyed, but a lot of people's lives were saved. The British platoon ended up getting driven back, but historians doubt that her ride had anything to do with it or even doubt that it actually happened at all. Um, and basically, and, and the reason is because newspaper records from multiple publications reported that on the same day that Sybil rode from New York to Connecticut, uh, a message arrived from Brigadier General Gold Silliman announcing the arrival of the new British regiment and that quote measures were immediately taken. So there's, there's some historical context to think that Sybil's ride was a waste of time. Like she still may have done it and may have just kind of reinforced what the newspapers were saying. Who knows? But chances are this legitimately happened and, and it did have some impact. And that's also kind of because of that. I think it's also kind of why we're stuck with Paul Revere, you know, because like, that's such an e- much easier word to rhyme than Sybil Luddington, <laughs> but whatever. Um, so there's that first story. The second story here is the story of Samuel Whittemore. Uh, on April 19th, 1775, 78 year old, 78 years old, Samuel Whittemore was working in his fields when he saw a British brigade marching down the path to assist in the retreat from Lexington and Concord. Uh, Whittemore, however, wasn't about to let the British just retreat and, and, you know, be peaceful about it. Um, he loaded his musket, got into position behind a stone wall and ambushed the British as they marched past. So you've got this whole brigade of British troops. And then this old man just jumps out from behind a stone wall and starts firing. Um, his musket blast killed one soldier, sending the rest of the group into attack mode. Uh, Whittemore then whipped out his dueling pistols, killed a second soldier and severely wounded another. So like this dude, he's, he's kicking butt right now. All right. You know, he leaps from behind the stone wall, blam, and then tosses his musket down, whips out his pistols, blam, blam, you know, kills another dude, really hurts another dude. And then, and then here's, here's where it kind of goes downhill, you know, because it takes an average of like eight weeks to reload a gun from the 1700s. The surviving British soldiers quickly pounced on Whittemore's position. But, dude, this dude wasn't done, all right? He then drew his sword and charged at the British. <laughs> well, I mean, okay, he charged. I mean, I don't know how a 78-year-old year old man can charge. You know, it's probably more like, me. <laughs> you know, just kind of like waddling. Um, charged at the British, who then subsequently shot him in the face. <laughs> so, you know. Uh, there you go. Uh, several soldiers also stabbed him numerous times with their bayonets, and 
they just left Whittemore sitting in the road in a pool of his own blood. So uh, there's the end of that story. Let's move on to the next one. Just kidding. Just kidding. This story's not over. Uh, several minutes later, a group of colonial troops came upon the scene to find a living Whittemore slowly reloading his musket. This dude has been shot in the face. He's been stabbed and he's just laying in the road, just kind of reloading his musket. Just like, Meh. yep, yes, yes, just doing what I'm doing here. Yep, yep, it's fine. That's fine. Not hurt at all. Uh, <laughs> the group took him to a nearby doctor who said there was absolutely no way that Whittemore was going to survive. And he didn't. He died right there. And that's for real this time. You guys, the end of the story. Nope. Just kidding. Uh, Whittemore, who was not going to listen to what any dumb doctor was going to say, lived for another 18 years before dying of natural causes at age 96. Uh, and in 2005, just for fun, uh, he was proclaimed as the official hero of Massachusetts. So that's that's pretty sick story. That's pretty hardcore. Uh, <laughs> you had a 78-year-old dude who just, man, really, uh, really took it to the British and then had the British really take it to him. And yet he lived, and at least two British soldiers died. But he lived to, to tell about it. Uh, the last story here for this week uh, might be a little bit shorter of an episode, but whatever. You got three stories. Don't just deal with it. Um, Deborah Sampson, who was born on uh, December 17th, 1760, uh, to parents who were really disappointed that they didn't have another son. I mean, they already had three, but they wanted a fourth one. But no, they had a daughter instead. Uh, after Deborah's father abandoned the family, her mother placed all of the Sampson's children, uh, Sampson children among a variety of relatives throughout the area. And when Deborah's mother died, uh, Deborah bri- uh, briefly lived with an 80-year-old widow where she learned to read and write. When the widow died, Deborah was then sent to live as an indentured servant, basically a slave, but uh, something somehow different, but not really. Um, Although Deborah wasn't allowed to go to school, she did find a way to learn from the children of the family that she worked for. And after she turned 18 in 1778, Deborah spent the next two years working as a school teacher. And along with teaching, she was also a skilled weaver, a basket maker, and a carpenter. Like she just, just doing, just a consistent learner, just doing whatever she could to just learn as many different things as she possibly could. Um, but despite her plethora of skills, Deborah what, still wasn't happy. And with the Revolutionary War going on, she desperately wanted to figure out a way to help. But at least at this time, war was for men only, while women stayed behind to just kind of do everything else. Um, the problem was that Deborah wasn't like the other women. All right, she was five foot nine, which means like today, that's I mean, it's still tall for a girl, but like not necessarily out of the ordinary. But at this time in history, she was actually taller than most of the men in the area. Uh, she was also a pretty hefty gal, um, which paired with the small breasts that she had kind of allowed her to pass herself off as a man, you know, especially with kind of the way uh, 1700s clothing, you know, was um, didn't really do a whole lot to show off, you know, the, the womanly features. And so that's exactly what she started doing. Um, she started kind of passing herself off as a man. And in 1782, she joined the army in Middleborough under the name Timothy Thayer. However, her initial disguise really wasn't that great. And she was immediately recognized. And 
Fearing the worst, like, I don't know, getting executed? I don't know. Um, she panicked and failed to report to her post. And when the army found out, uh, she was forced to repay the bonus that she had received, but kind of otherwise avoided any kind of punishment from that. Well, that's not all that happened. When her Baptist church found out that she had disguised herself as a man and joined the army, uh, all of the members were ordered to disassociate themselves from her until she asked for forgiveness, which sounds like a very Baptist thing to do. Um, not sure if you're familiar with the Baptists, but they're not exactly the most open-minded people. Um, they tend to take very hardline stances on things and, um, you know, they just, they don't mess around and it's admirable to a degree, but it's also really annoying. So <laughs> anyway, um, figuring, uh, figuring it was really dumb and not very Jesus like to ask for forgiveness for doing a good thing. Uh, Deborah then improvised her disguise and enlisted again under the name Robert Shirtliff. She then joined the 4th Massachusetts Regiment, one of the most elite units in the Army at the time. And because no one expected a woman to be good enough to be an elite soldier, her disguise worked perfectly. All right. You know, it's like she's in this just basically SEAL Team 6 of the Colonial Army. And like, sure, maybe she looks and sounds a little feminine, but there's no way. There's no way, bro. There's no way a chick can be in this. All right. They're just not strong enough. They're not strong enough. They got too much feelings. They're just sissies. This is a real man's regiment in the army. And there's no way. There's no way Shortliff is a chick. All right? There's no way. He's a good dude. Bobby Shortliff. I get. Look. Does he sound a little, little femme? Yeah. But, you know, that's fine. Tommy, you got a weird voice too. And that's that's you. We love you for it. You, you switch things up. Shortliff, he got a weird voice. And that's fine. Does he have kind of a feminine tuchus? Yeah, but look, we're all dudes. Man, maybe we just been away from our broads too long. Maybe we just, it's all in our heads, all right? Can't help it, all right? Shortliff is a good dude, all right? And we're going to treat him as one of the boys because he's a legitimate boy. I'm sure he has a penis under there. I ain't gay, though. We're not going to look and see if he has a penis. We're just going to assume he does, all right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where that went. Um, anyway, going into it in her first battle in Terrytown, New York, Deborah took two bullets to her thigh and received a cut on her forehead. So, uh, military career, not starting off great. All right. In your first battle, you're shot twice in the leg. Um, and realizing that if she let people help her, they would quickly find out that she was a woman. Uh, she begged her fellow soldiers to let her die, but, as soldiers do, they vowed to protect her. Uh, they vowed to protect their sister, brother, brother, but really her sister, um, and took her on horseback to the nearest hospital. Uh, although she had the cut on her head treated, she escaped the hospital before doctors could examine her leg, opting instead to just remove one of the bullets herself and sewing up her own leg like a true mother effing hero. Ah, oh, look at that. You pansies get shot in the leg while you're just going to go to a hospital. Let a doctor do it? Nah, not Deborah. Old Debbie. Debbie gonna just just cut the bullet out herself and then sew up her own leg and leave a bullet in there as a souvenir. Yeah, USA, USA, USA. Anyway, sorry. Um, uh, after joining a new regiment, Deborah fell ill in 1783 and was sent to Doctor Barnabas Binney in Philadelphia. Uh, 
This time, Deborah couldn't escape before she was found out. And uh, when Barnabas discovered Deborah's true identity, he then smuggled her away to his house to care for her privately so she wouldn't get in trouble. And she was ultimately discharged, uh, given an honorable discharge at West Point, New York. And despite her manly looks, you know, despite, I guess, I don't know what that was. That was gross. I'm going to leave it in, though. Um, Sorry. Anyway, that was weird. Um, Despite still looking like a man, apparently, after the war, Deborah went on to get married and had three kids. Um, In 1792, she petitioned the Massachusetts state legislator to get paid what she had earned during her time in war. Um, Governor John Hancock approved the petition and awarded her 34 pounds plus interest dating back to her 1783 discharge. Um, However, that really wasn't a whole lot. And so she spent the next few years lecturing about her service and performing demonstrations of the physically difficult military drills. So now she's like, she's still got, you know, the bullet wound in her leg. Uh, She's had three kids, but she's still going through these rigorous military drills that apparently only men were capable of doing. And so she was just showing off. Um, Although she was a popular speaker, she wasn't making enough money to cover her expenses and had to frequently request loans from Guess who? Paul Revere. How do you like that? Come in full circle today on the show, on the pod. That's what we're going to call it. You can call it the pod. Anyway, I just I thought that was fun. Uh, and after several loans, Revere got tired of just loaning her money and petitioned the government to add Deborah to the pension list, which up to that point had never been awarded for a woman because obviously women were not allowed to fight in the war. Well, Paul Revere's request, because he had some clout, I guess, uh, his request was approved and Deborah began receiving $4 a month. Ooh, $4. Um, well, obviously that wasn't nearly enough and her financial troubles continued until she was finally rewarded, uh, awarded $76.80 per year backdated to her 1783 discharge. And with that sum, she was actually able to pay Revere back uh, for all of the money that he had loaned her and also invest in her family farm. Uh, she ended up dying on April 29th, 1827 of yellow fever. And that is the end of today's stories. Well, there you go. A little Memorial day themed fun from the revolutionary war. Um, three little fun stories there. I'm pretty sure you probably haven't heard uh, of any of them. I mean, for what it's worth, if you watch a drunk history, Deborah Sampson's story was covered on drunk history, but um, probably haven't heard of the other two for sure. Um, so yeah. What, uh, what did we, what did we learn today? What did we learn? Number one, uh, Paul Revere didn't actually ride by himself throughout the night. And he also didn't even make it to his destination. He was actually captured. So that poem you grew up reciting in elementary school or whenever you had to do it uh, was a lie. It was all a lie. And Sybil Ludington was the true hero. Maybe. Probably. Uh, Number two, 78-year-old Samuel Whittemore. Man. (laughs) complete hero just 
working out in his field, whatever 78-year-old men do. They don't, like, I don't know, man. 78's not that old. It was back then. Like, that was super old back then. 78 today's not not doing, not that. But, man, just popping British soldiers with his musket and his pistols and then trying to stab them with his swords. And then he gets shot in the face and he still survives because he's a hero and he is the official hero of Massachusetts. And uh, number three, even though women were not allowed to serve in the army, Deborah Sampson was like, nah, fam, I'm going to do it anyway. Cause um, I'm a, I'm a sturdy gal and I look like a dude. So I'm just going to do it anyway. I don't know. Uh, but she did it and she got shot, but she survived and sewed up her own bullet wounds and still ended up having a family. You know, someone found her attractive. There you go. I, so who's, who cares? Who cares who serves in the military? If you can do it, do it. So yeah. <laughs> Next week on Our Weird World, we're going to do something a little different. Uh, no real theme to the episodes. Just going to tell you two different stories. going to tell you the story of Floyd Collins and Peter Woodcock. And they are two very different stories. Uh, one about a guy who uh, super enthusiastic about caves. I swear to God, it's going to be more interesting than it sounds. Uh, and then also a guy who, uh, was a Canadian serial killer. So, uh, I'll let you figure out who was the Canadian serial killer. Hint. It was the guy with the unfortunate last name. Um, there you go. So thank you all for listening. Keep telling all your friends and keep it weird. <laughs> <laughs>